I want to briefly mention Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. That's where we started last week. This is sort of our text. The other one I'll get to today will be in John 15. But in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, God has said he's going to use somebody and somebody's going to do something. And Isaiah said, here am I at the end of the verse. God says, whom shall I send and who will go for me? And the board met and voted on who they thought would be their best representative to go and serve the Lord. They, that happens. That really does happen. We evaluate others who we think would be really good for this job, and we vote that they go or try to encourage others to go. I mean, somebody ought to go. If it's the Lord's work, somebody ought to do it. But in Isaiah, he said, I'll go. I'll go. I heard what you said. I don't know what all is involved yet and how difficult it might be or whether I'm really sufficient for it, but I heard your voice. I'm willing to go. Here am I, he said. Send me. So my message we started last week was obligated to service, to serve the Lord, to do what God wants. God uses people. God calls people. God sends people. God uses people. People like us. There's a reason God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's a reason God saved us. And it wasn't to occupy a room and find our comfort zone spiritually. It was to be awakened out of death and being brought to life so that we could gather information from the Lord about why did you save us and having saved us, what do you want from us? It's got to be a searching question that we ask at least once in a while. Why am I here? Why did he save me? Why am I so stirred up or bothered? What do you want? I don't even know if I can do that or not, but what do you want, Lord? I don't want to just sit in a church. I did that for many years of my life. I don't want to sit in a church building for the rest of my life, go to church twice a week and think I'm all right. There's a greater purpose that God saved me than just to do that. And so I want to know what it is. Because what Isaiah said was, here am I, Lord, send me. Now, we said this the last time, that the kind of person that God uses and the kind of person that God wants service from is the person who is willing. You know, when they were donating supplies, materials, and money, and resources to build the tabernacle, God specifically said in Exodus 35, he said, I want those who are of a willing heart to bring me an offering. He specifically said that. Everyone whose heart stirred him up and whose spirit made willing brought an offering. Not everybody probably did. Some people thought, well, I don't know if I can afford that. Maybe some other day, but not right now. And you know, I'm pretty tied up right now. They weren't really that willing. Oh, I'm sure they'd like to, but there were some who said, no, I want to. I'm going to do this. Another verse he said, and whose heart made them willing. And I thought it was interesting in further research about that. David said it this way in First Chronicles 29. You don't have to turn to these. He said, who then is willing to consecrate his service unto the Lord? That's a deeper question. That's a probing question. Who then is willing to consecrate, dedicate his or her service to the Lord? And again, I think all of us would like to think we would. Perhaps we would, but maybe we'll have to find out. But this is the kind of person God wants. He wants a willing heart to serve him. Let me say this. If one's service to God is not with or from a willing heart, I think it's vain service. I think there are a lot of people that are religious. You say, are you going to hammer on that again? Probably. Because it's so dominant in society, in religious society, that there are a lot of people who would aspire to doing good things and religious things and spiritual things, and so they do things because they feel good about it. I like what I did. 
I like the feeling I get from doing nice things. That's not necessarily as unto the Lord as much as it is as unto yourself. Because sometimes what God wants from us is not convenient. It's not easy. You've got to be willing, folks, all of us. We have to be willing to give up rights to ourselves and literally obligate ourselves under the Lord. When he saved us, that should have been the understanding. You give me you. You were lost. I'm going to give you me. I'm going to put me in you. And I want you then to respond to me for the rest of your life. Let go of all the holes and all the little, it's mine and I want and this and that. You belong to me. You have been bought with a price. You are God's purchased possession. Now see that, understand that, yield to it, or obligate yourself to that kind of a life. It's what God wants. I used marriage last week to show what obligation between two people is. When two people obligate themselves to a relationship in the Lord, defined by the Lord, to live on the Lord's terms, you have what we call then marriage. But it's an obligation. I have to take a vow when you get married. I obligate myself with it. All of you that get married, you've all that, at least the ones that I've officiated, I'm sure all the rest of us. Many times they say, till death do us part, for better or for worse, I'm in. I'm obligated to you. Who I am and what I am and how we've met and what we've seen in each other, I'm dedicating in the natural world as a husband or a wife to be this kind of a person. I'm obligated to do that. God holds me to that. And when I'm obligated to you, it's not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, not because you're, you're good enough for that, but I do it as unto the Lord. Because any service that is acceptable to the Lord has to be done because of the Lord. A wife who submits to a husband who's not exactly deserving of submission, maybe he's not always nice or understanding, sensitive, or careful about the way he is. Maybe he's a little indifferent to her. She submits to him. She loves him anyway because she said she would do unto him what she would do unto the Lord. Her submission is not unto somebody that's earned it because marriage is not about earning favor. You give that before you even get into the marriage. You're dedicated, obligated, committed to each other. And so she loves him. He loves her because he said he would. Because he told the Lord, I will do that with an oath, with a vow. That's what obligation is. We asked the Lord to save us. said, Lord, I surrender myself to you. Forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart and take control. That's what he wants to do. And we have to be willing to obligate ourselves to that. That's why we teach, so we can define that. And boy, you're living in a world that has no definitions, and any definition today of anything is shady. Well, that, you know, well, now, I don't know about it. Well, now, it could be. So we want to know what it means and how to live this particular life the way God wants us to live it. And the motivation to live this way is love. It's simply love. Biggest small word in the world. Defined and used so many ways, some good, many bad. But love, love in its deepest essence is commitment. It is obligation. And whatever you serve, you love. Whatever you're serving, whatever your service is to, if it's yourself, you love yourself. You care about yourself, what people think of you, how you look, how you fare in life, how you're doing. You use whatever you can in life to exalt self when you're serving yourself. And when you're serving the Lord, you let go of self. You crucify all of that because you can't serve yourself and God. There's a deep commitment. We, I'm just calling it obligation to service that we have to God that has to be because we love him. Take, for example, we're all here today. Those of you that are here. One of the main reasons you came is to hear the word. Now, if you're a child, you're here because you have to be here. But us who keep coming every week, we come to hear what we're going to believe is the Lord's word. And that 
if there's a lot of man's word in there with it, that God will show us what he's saying. He will inspire us and do something to us, convict us. Now, the Bible says if we love the Lord, I think the two hardest sermons in the whole Bible are love and faith. We take them lightly, but I think the definition and the explanation of faith and love are the two most difficult messages in all the Bible. Take love, for example. If you love the Lord, you will do what he said. And when we're not doing what he said, it means at that time we don't love the Lord. We love ourselves. We're trying to spare ourselves. We're not trying to die to self. We're trying to spare self. John 14. Would you turn there for just a minute, pretty please? John 14 and verse 15. Jesus said, if a man loves me, what will he do? How can we know if we love the Lord? What does it say? It say the same thing in 2 John 6, but let's stay with John chapter 14 and verse 15. It says in that verse, if you love me, do what? What would happen in the average congregation if the preacher said, you folks are not doing what the Lord told you to do. You're not living the way he told you to live. You must not love the Lord. And yet you ask anybody, do you love the Lord? Most all of them will say, yeah. But they get irritated when they told how you love the Lord. That's by doing what he said. Look at verse 21. He that has my commandments and keeps them, this is the man who loves me. Verse 23. If a man love me, like verse 15, he will keep my word. Isn't that simple? And yet, isn't it profound that the very essence of obligation, whether in marriage, in business, to a task, or in serving God, the very essence of that obligation is love. And without that love motivating us, what do we have? Remember, we looked at 1 Corinthians 13 last week. If you could prophesy, if you could work miracles, oh, you could do this and interpret that, and, and you solve it. He said, if you did all of that, but it didn't come from a loving heart, that it was nothing. It profits nothing. Oh, no, how could that wouldn't be fair? I don't like that message. He said, if I had all knowledge, understood all mysteries, if I was the number one, the most admired theological soul in the church, but I didn't come from because I love the Lord and a loving heart, it's for nothing. Oh, how could that be? Jesus will say in the last days, I never knew you to people who worked miracles, who were very charismatic, did a lot of things. I remember days of old, I used to see, I perceived a lot of the things that we called gifts were just people doing things because somebody ought to do something. You just kind of push out a prophecy or something. It's not hard to do. Or you could say, I saw the Lord. We don't know if you saw it or not. You said you did. I mean, there's all kinds of things happen. But sometimes people like the idea that I'm the one that does that here, and people look to me for this or look to me for that. They didn't do it because they love the Lord. It's just what we do in church. It's just a church thing. You know, I told the Lord many years ago about gifts. You know, I've been around that so much in my life. I would to God every time we met, genuine gifts would operate. But I have seen so much of it, and I remember a number of times in my life, I did what everybody else was doing. I made a couple really bad, <laughs> oh, God. I mean, I messed up a couple times by prophesying to somebody. You know, two people, you know, God sees your relationship, and he loves you, and he's all for it. They were living together, messing around together. And I'm prophesying, you're all right. God said it's okay. And that devastated me. I thought, you know, I, I'm not going to ever do that again until I know it's God. If God doesn't do it, I'm not going to do it. If I don't know it, a preacher in over in Illinois one night after the Friday and Saturday night meeting, we were eating Saturday night, he said, are you going to f- function in the gifts any while you're here? 
And I said, I'd love to, but I'm not going to do anything I'm not inspired to do. He never invited me back. He didn't like that. He didn't invite me over there just to teach and hear the word, to be better informed on how to live the Christian life. He wanted to see some stuff, wanted me to do something. Well, I think a lot of people have been misdirected in life like that. I'd rather hear a good sermon than to watch a bunch of gifts operate. I would. This word will get me in heaven. These gifts may not. Didn't he say to a lot of people, I never knew you? They worked miracles. They did this. They did that. Boy, they were, whoa. And Jesus said, I never knew you in Matthew 7. Didn't he say that? And he was talking about how you know what's right and wrong. That seventh chapter about fruit. If a man loves the Lord, he'll keep his word. If a man loves the Lord, he will obligate himself to what God says. And I ended last week with talking about the greatest service you can have is to see yourself as a pawn in God's hand and to let God just inspire you and then be willing to follow that. Remember, you give a drink of cold water. You did this to somebody at Matthew 25, verse 40 and follow. He said, as you have done it unto the least of these, you have what? Think of it. Service doesn't have to be in a pulpit, standing behind a pulpit. Service doesn't have to always be a run on a missionary field. A wife loving her husband as unto the Lord is service to the Lord. Somebody benefits from that, namely her husband. Doing things that we're taught to do, just living that way is service to the Lord. Being nice and kind. Are the fruits of the Spirit still spiritual? How about kindness? When you're being kind, maybe you didn't used to be kind. When you put a watch before your mouth and shut that mouth. When you begin to do right things, you're serving the Lord. When you write a note to somebody that has a need and you feel for somebody, that's God doing that for you. The Bible said, whoso hath this world's good, and he sees a brother have need. If he shuts up that compassionate heart from him, how does the love of God dwell in him? Well, he may do a lot of things, but he doesn't do it because he loves. He's not serving the Lord. He's serving himself or he's serving the church like a lot of preachers do. You're serving a denomination or you're serving the system. But it's not the Lord. If you serve the Lord, you speak the Lord's word. That's what it comes down to. Now, in John 15, if you'll turn over there today. There are three things in John 15 that I believe precede true spiritual obligation to God. John chapter 15, and because we're talking about love, let's begin with verse 12. This is my commandment to those who are here this morning in Shelbyville Christian Assembly and whoever reads the Bible. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's going to take you a while to think about that. How many of you know that God loved us when we did not deserve it? That he loved us when we did not merit his favor? In Romans 5, it says, while we were yet sinners, he loved us. Can we love like that? Not when we're gossiping, not when we're backbiting, not when you're yapping and carrying on and not when you're doing that. Because I promise you this morning, God never inspires that. That does not come from something God does. That is not service to God when you do that. All right. Having said that, verse 13, greater love is no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. And then verse 16, he said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of the father in my name, he will give it to you. Now, verse 17, these things I command unto you that you love one another. Isn't it amazing? All this talk about the requirement to obligate ourselves to love each other and right in the middle of it, like a sandwich is verse 16. That's what we're going to talk about today. And probably next time, if we don't get finished today, there are three things that Jesus mentions 
that lead to our fourth thing, which is what we're saved for. For example, Jesus said, you did not choose me. Number one, he said, I've chosen you. Number two, and I have ordained you. Thirdly, that you might go. Until these first two things happen, it's best not to go. But the fourth thing he mentions is that you might bear fruit. We are all receptacles of God, wherein God has placed the seed of his word. The purpose of God planting anything in your life is so that it may bring forth fruit. For whatever God does in a man's life that blossoms and comes to fruition glorifies God, which in John 15 is what he is all about, that you might glorify your Father, not by works of righteousness, not by our efforts at building and doing and glamorizing something. We say this is for God. That may not even be what God wants. It's what we want. What God wants is not on the outside as much as it is on the inside. How many of you know the tabernacle of God today doesn't have siding on it? Doesn't have bricks on it. The tabernacle of God are human bodies sitting in front of me. The house is called the house that God dwells in. It's the house that God tabernacles in or dwells in. It's the abiding place of the Heavenly Father on this earth. It wasn't made with human hands. It was made by the Lord. But go back to John 15, verse 16 again. He said, you have not chosen me. He said, I have chosen you. Now, it's interesting in the study of the word chosen that the word chosen and the word elect come from the same source, the same root word. But it doesn't always mean that the word chosen, when used, means election. For example, the Bible says in John 6 and verse 70, Jesus said, have I not chosen you and one of you is a devil? Who was the devil? It was Judas. Did God choose him? Same word. Well, I'll guarantee you Judas was not elect. But he was chosen. But generally, the word chosen has to do here with the sovereign choice of God to do what he wants. God uses people. And he picks people out. He does something to people that inspires people, brings those people to him, and then he equips and sends and uses those people. In this way, God is glorified. And I don't want to get off the subject, but in 1 Corinthians 1, the people that God chooses are not the fancy, high-flying, popular, look-at-me-ain't-I-something type people, but it's the base and the despised and the foolish people like us. We have none of those other things. We don't think the world owes us anything. We're just people that God saved. We're here because we want to be. We don't have any financial advantage of being here. We don't get praise in the paper for being here today. Just the opposite. But we're here for a higher reason than self. Teach me thy way, O Lord, so that I can obligate myself to walk your way. That's why I'm here. So preach the word to me. Don't play with my mind. Don't try to make me feel good. I don't want anybody, but tell me the truth. Speak the word. Don't spare my feelings. Just preach the word. Because you see, the people that God chooses, the people that God calls to him will be like that. They don't want favors. You didn't choose me. He said, I chose you. An interesting question is, why would God choose me? I can't answer it either. Why would he choose you? Why would he choose what we have here? If this is the Lord's will, I believe it is. Why? I mean, why a lot of questions why about why this and why that? Why does God do anything he does? Let me give you a good reason why. Put your finger right there in John 15 and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 
2 Timothy chapter 1. You need to see this. This is theological truth. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Why are we here? Well, listen to this. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works or who we were, who we thought we were, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. What if I told you this morning that before there was ever a world, before it was even without form and void, God had you in his mind, had a time for you to appear on earth, had a plan for you, a way he wanted you to live, and from you doing that, he would gain glory from you according to his own purpose and grace. It had nothing to do with us. Who you are, who you thought you were, all the good grades you made, how intelligent, how sophisticated and socially proper you were. It had nothing to do with that as to why you got saved. You weren't saved because you were a movie star, a professional athlete, well-to-do, famous, It had nothing to do with anything who we were. God saved us according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world even began. Humble yourself this morning and realize God never saw you as much. There was nothing about you that impressed God at all talking the other day to somebody about one of their children didn't follow the Lord anymore, had quit going to church, and had for quite a while. And her problem was election. It just didn't seem to be fair that God would elect some and not elect others. That's just not right. And I, of course, I'm listening to that. I didn't say anything. I just listened to that, and I thought, who has a right? What human being on this earth has a right as a sinful creature? What sinful human being has a right to tell God what's right and wrong? We're all sinners. The whole realm of earth lies in wickedness. It's sin. Man has exalted himself to the place where he becomes a judge of God and a judge of God's ways. It's not right, he says. Who said it's not right? Well, I just don't think it's fair. You mean to tell me that you being lost in your sins and God being under no obligation whatsoever to save you. God was under no anything to save anybody. Are you here? Nobody deserved to be saved. Nobody merited salvation. Nobody could be saved because all we like sheep had gone astray. There was not a right one amongst us anywhere on this earth. God had every right to just say, well, that's it. You're all doomed and you're going to perish. He didn't have to save anybody. He didn't have to save anybody. He could have left all of his creation alone and remain righteous while the world remains unrighteous. God isn't obligated to save anybody. He wasn't at the time anyway. And then he comes to the earth in a human body. God was in Christ doing what? Reconciling the world to himself. Why? Because he loved his creatures, his creation. He didn't discard us. He's not willing that any of us should perish. He came to save us. Jesus is the message to lost people. Jesus is the message of God to lost people like us. There he is. This is what he did. Why he did it? Because he loved you. Well, yeah, but he... And not everybody's interested in that, are they? 
Why were you interested in it? Why did you care? Because God, and only God can, chose to affect you with the conviction of your sin. Godly sorrow. Is that still in the Bible? God sends godly sorrow to show us our sins. He didn't have to. He's under no constraint to do that. The message of salvation, who Jesus is, has gone to everybody in the world. And most, I'd say, billions of people have rejected it. They're all under a curse. This whole world that hates the Jew is under a curse. They're everywhere. Anti-Semites are all over the world, and they're all under a curse. The world lies in darkness. Do you think God has a right to just blow the thing up? He could. But Noah found grace. In the, I mean, uh, uh, there are people that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God reached, reached down and said, you're a sinner. <laughs> just as. And he brought him to him. He didn't have to do that, but he did that. Now, the guy beside him, he didn't feel that. But he's not going to die because he wasn't called. He's going to die because he's a sinner. Didn't the Ten Commandments declare that? It holds the whole world to be sinners. The message of God, the Ten Commandments, we're lost. We've broken every one of them. So we're sinners. What are we going to do? Well, we can't do anything unless God prompts us. But it does say the grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men. At some point in life, we've considered it, thought about it. Maybe thought about it a long time. Maybe like the sower and the seed, we stepped out. Yeah, I'm really convicted about my sins and with them, the stones and the difficulty, the briars came up, and, uh, I, I, and I'm not into all of that. And we walked away from it. That's not what the elect do. Well-meaning people might do that, but the elect don't. You see, the elect are obligated. Whom God chooses... He brings them to himself. They're called wheat in the Bible. A lot of people like wheat are called tares. They do the same things, sing the same songs, act the same way. They do the same things. But the heart of God's people, listen to me, and I hope you examine your heart. I do. This, this drills me, but the heart of God's people Examine their hearts to see if they're truly committed and obligated to God. Look at your life. Look at how you live. Look at the choices you made this week. How much of that was under the Lord? And if it wasn't under the Lord, like people that can't drive, I had a chance to go take that class again, flunked it again. And you realize what's coming out of your mouth wasn't inspired by the Lord. You're messing up again. But then you repent. Because you don't want to live like that. You repent. Lord, I'm sorry. Repentance is a gift. You can't just repent when you want to repent. I used to think I could when I get to be old. I can't do nothing wrong anymore or have fun anymore. I'll just get saved. I realize you can't come to the Lord unless the Lord calls you. John 6, you didn't choose me. He said in our text, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Look at you, all of you sitting here today. He chose you while you were a sinner. He picked all the rottenness he could. Some of the most rotten people in the world are standing up here. I mean, well, anyway, are in church. He brings people that are inside. You know, outside we look good. But inside we're dead. We're rotten to the core. He broke our heart. Because I saw the kind of person I was, just like you did. I see one, I'm like, oh, God deliver me from that. Sorrow, tears, forgiveness, oh, God forgive me. And he does, and he did. So much so that you not only hate all the things you've ever done, but even in your worst day, you don't want to go back to that. Because you're obligated, you're committed. It's something he did, you may not understand it, but it's what he did. He caused you to want him more than you want yourself. You obligate yourself to his way in life. You quit trying to satisfy the fact, well, I go to church and I'm better than most people are. That never gets you to heaven. 
Being a minister doesn't get you to heaven. Giving all your money away or giving your body to be burned doesn't get you to heaven. What gets you to heaven is a life that is expressed by your love for God. You love him. You live right. You do what he wants. You quit complaining. You shut your mouth. You don't have any complaints anymore. If God only wanted to save you and did not choose to save anybody else, he has done no wrong. God did not have to save anybody, did he? Why did he save you? According to his purpose in 2 Timothy 1 9. You still there? All right, take your finger out of there, leave it in John 15, go to Ephesians 1. And look at verse 4 and 5. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, we just read that a while ago. Now, let me ask you something, because I want you to learn this. Did I not say that when he saves us, he has a purpose in saving us? We're on this earth with a mission. All right, here it is. Saved us before the foundation of the world. That. Check yourself out. That we should be holy and without blame before him. In love, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Notice the last verses. According to the good pleasure of his will. Now, I didn't mean to take this much time to say that this morning, but this is a spiritual Christian truth that every Christian needs to confront and deal with. You are not saved because you are anybody. You are saved because God from heaven sovereignly chose to do this. And he did not want all the good things. Now I can do this. I'm going to bring this up. He said, I want you to go to a cross and I want you to die. I want you to do nothing that you seek praise from. You live as a grateful man, grateful woman unto God who for his own design and purpose called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has a life he wants you to live. Find out what it is. And it might be nothing more for the rest of our lives than living simple, loving, holy, joyful, kind, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent lives. Just being what we ought to be, loving one another. Do we serve God when we love one another? What if God inspired you to go to some other country and share whatever? Like I said last week, just to carry a brick? Well, I can't do this. I can't build a can. Can you carry a brick? Well, yeah. Well, then you feel led to go? Then if you carry a brick, say, Lord, I'm carrying this for you. I know they get to live in it, but I'm carrying this brick for you. You want to give your testimony? Lord, I want to give my testimony in a way that exalts you and doesn't tell people how wonderful I am and get me a following. I just want you to be glorified. If my life and the struggles of my life can inspire other people, then let me tell it in such a way that it does not make me a hero, but it makes you who you are. Just teach me how to live as I should live and honor you with all my life. Do you suppose these guys who... Maybe go and, well, a couple of them went the other night and drove down, drove back to just investigate whether or not we should maybe consider this as our next event. You think that's an act of love? Yeah, well, I ain't here to exalt anybody. I'm just making a point. I think it is. It costs money. It gets weary. It's a long thing. Just to find out maybe... Five minutes worth of information of, is this the Lord or not? I want to know. If we're going to serve the Lord, if we're going to put money in it and serve it and be a part of it, let's find out if it's the Lord. Who wants to go? Who wants to go find out? Not me. I remember that morning the preacher said, we have a lay witness mission coming up. Lay people which meant non-preachers, I guess, are coming from other places to our city. 
Each church is assigned a certain number of them, and of that number assigned to each church, we need homes for these people to stay in. Now, who in here would like to volunteer to keep one of these couples for the weekend? Well, you know, we usually look at the preacher while he's talking. When he said, who wants to volunteer, I dropped my head. I didn't want to look up. I'm waiting for somebody in the church to say, I'll take one. Yeah, we'll take one until we got them all done. Then I could look back up. I didn't want anybody in my house. I didn't. Nobody was responding. So I looked up to see what was going to preach. was looking right at me. <laughs> he was. He said, Tom, would you and Bonnie keep a couple to the church in front of everybody? <laughs> well, what would you have said? No, we don't, we don't want them kind of people in our house. No, we're out. You know what I did? I said, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'd be glad to, which was a lie. <laughs> I'll never forget that weekend as long as I live of how God showed me in one night how miserably hypocritical, shamefully lost I was. But I was able to justify all of that because, hey, I'm not that bad. You know, the world's today, well, I'm not bad enough to go to hell. I may not be perfect, but I'm not bad enough to go to hell. Everybody thinks they're fine. I did. Would you and Bonnie keep a couple in your home? Oh. And then they didn't show up. And then you act like this. Oh, well, we were really looking forward to this. That's another. That's two lies in one weekend. And then a couple comes in late. Saturday, another couple, too late. One from Columbia, one from Campbellsville. They came in late. They need a place to stay. Preacher said, Tom, uh, we got a couple just came in. Would you, uh, uh, and we introduced them to them. They were two women, very pretty women. And uh, yeah. <laughs> one was named Nancy, one was named Barbara. And they sat in our house, never asked us to get saved, sat in our house that night, Saturday night, until about 2 or 3 in the morning and talked about Jesus. I never talked about Jesus unless I was reading it to somebody. And I remember the hunger in my heart that night. Oh, if I could just be like that. God was doing his work, slow but sure. And the next day I got saved. As this one lady stood up there in front of the whole church and shared her testimony. And I thought, that lady has never sinned in her whole life. she got no business standing up there. She's never done anything wrong. Like Bonnie thinks, her children think she's never done anything wrong. If I stood up there, the broom would fall apart. I'd be boom, boom, boom. But this lady that was testifying, sharing about her life, trying to talk about her sins, she had never done anything wrong in her life. I don't think she ever sinned in her life. But there was something about the words, just something the way that God, who can do this? He doesn't have to, but he did. Into my heart, sitting in the back of the room, they drilled holes in me. I wanted to be saved, but I didn't know if I could be after living the way I lived all this. You know, I was a school teacher the year before and all the, all the bad things you say while you're coaching to your team and vulgar stuff. And, and I think I can't be, I want to be, but I can't be. Maybe if I moved away from here, it could be. And it came down that morning, just as I am, but it worked. There's just something about the way we live that can only be changed by God. And yet, even then, God only shows us what needs to be changed. That's where the message of faith comes in. You're either going to be faithful to what you're hearing, or you're going to justify why you're not faithful. But you'll do one or the other. God may say, this is the way you walk in. You say, well, I don't know if I'm ready for that. You've learned that in the world. This world's full of that. But that's your choice. You see, God has chosen us because he loves us. He had a purpose. From his own reason, he saved us. Now turn to Matthew 7. I'll ask you a question, just a brief question. 
How can we tell who's chosen? All of you, I'm sure, if I were to come out there and ask you, visit your homes, maybe you might be a little different there, but if I ask you this morning, has God chosen you to be his? Are you one of God's chosen people? Are you elect? You'd probably say, yes, I think so. I believe so. How can you tell? Are you one of his chosen people because you're Jewish? They were called God's chosen people. You know how many of them perished before they even got into the promised land? Almost all of them. They didn't make it. They were chosen to be God's people. But their hearts weren't right. God wasn't going to tolerate that. How about you all today here, standing here? Me, you, all of us. Has God chosen you to be his? Are you one of his chosen people? How can we tell? How can we tell? What do you say in Matthew 7 there, in our, where I ask you to turn, in verse 16? What did he say? Now, he was talking about false prophets, to be sure. This is how you can tell if somebody is false or in error or misleading you. Or if you want to take it in the direction we're going today, this is how you can tell yourself whether or not you're chosen. He said, you shall know them how? By their fruits, which is our next point after go, John 15, go. The next point, he said, is to go bear fruit. We need to know what it is because that is another subject in the Bible that's bigger than most people's minds. Fruit. It's a big subject. Fruit bearing. We think fruit bearing is building project or a mission trip. Or having a good attitude about something. Fruit. Verse 20. What does verse 20 say? Fruit. What if I told you that I can tell by your fruits who you're serving? You can tell by my fruit who I'm serving. Nobody knows me better than my wife. And nobody knows her better than me. You don't have to ask me if I'm saved. Ask her. I don't need you to ask her if she's saved. Ask me if she's saved. I'll tell you. I live around them. I know how they live. I know what they talk about. I know the fruit of their life. I know what comes out of them. I know what decisions they make. What they choose in life to be important to them. Fruit. It's one thing for us to hear the word of God. It's something else for us to remain foolish and ignorant. Now, go back to John 15. He said, not only have you been chosen, but he said he ordained you. Now, ordained simply means appointed. In 1 Corinthians 12, it, the word is translated set. God has set some in the church. It's an appointment that God makes with his people. Not all of us are called to do the same thing. Or we're not all who are chosen, ordained to do the same thing. How many of you believe that God has many different things for many different people? He does. Chosen, again, it doesn't mean that we're ordained to be preachers. For not all are. But it does mean we all have a purpose in being in this world. We were chosen and given direction, ordained. And then the third word is, in John 15, verse 16, to go. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. These signs shall follow those who believe. Go, 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 go. It's never set, 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 set. Vote twice a year and be a member in good standing at a local church. There's more to what we're doing than just being there like that. Or having that only is all that we do. Now, in John 15, verse 16 again, I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and what? And bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. I have an obligation to do that and so do you. I am obliged by virtue of my response to God, who offered to save me, I said, I accept that. I receive it. I thank you for that. 
I'm now obligated in his following to release within me or from me whatever he puts in me. I've got to get it in there, but when it's in there, it's like a seed. It's designed to come forth. Remember Ephesians 2 said, for we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto. There is, there's a purpose. Here's a reason. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has ordained that we should walk in them. This is God's purpose. That's why we're here. This is what the Christian life and Christianity is all about. It's God using people, ordinary people like us, to do the things that he wants us to do that cause people to glorify the Lord. What happened when Jesus healed people? They glorified the Lord. That's what should happen from these things. God is glorified. When God really stirs your heart with his word, what should be your response? Thank you, Brother Tom. No. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Well, what about the vessel? He's just a hose. He's only done what was required of him. You mean that was his function and purpose? Is that how he serves the Lord? It is. God puts him somewhere where he can learn, study, give him some kind of revelation. Put a measure of inspiration in him, bring him out here so that he can say what God gave him to say so that you can receive the same thing yourself. Is that service? Is that what I'm called to do? Do I in this way serve the Lord? This is one of the ways to do. You benefit from it. We are his workmanship. All of us are. We all have something. All of us. All of us have something. So what is fruit then? Fruit is the expression Fruit is the expression of what I believe, of what I choose, or what I follow. Fruit. If somebody really inspired me, and I begin to listen to somebody and begin to adhere to somebody's belief system or theology or doctrine, and I begin to follow that person and walk in that person's light, I became an adherent to that person. The fruit that I'm giving is a result of what he's told me. Now, if what he told me is what God said, if it's the word of God, again, if, if it's a pure word and it comes to my heart through a vessel, and it comes into my heart, and this word, as it settles into my heart, captures my conscience, then my convictions, and I begin to ponder this, and God begins to show me his way. And then I begin to walk in that way. Is my walk the coming forth of fruit? It is. We are bearing witness. We are doing, whether good works or good deeds, it's all fruit. God plants his word in your heart, and this is what happens. When you live in sin, when you live for yourself and your whole life, your conversation, your whole day and your whole world is about you. And some of it obviously has to be if you have a home or a business. There's personal things you got to deal with. Yes. But when your whole life is about yourself, Paul wrote it like this in Romans 7. He said, when we were in the motions of sin, which was in our flesh, when we were living for ourselves, he went on to say that we brought forth fruit unto death. Would you agree with me this morning that everybody who lives in sin is bearing fruit unto death? For what is coming out and it's being expressed from you has nothing to do with God, but it's all about what the devil's done. Your sentence is death. You're a nice person. You're a good person. You're a good man. Love your family. Gave to the church. Raised your children. Cared about children. But when your fruit's under death, it's because of sin. Or Paul also wrote, 
In Galatians 5, he said, the fruits of the flesh are these. And then he mentions all these expressions of the fruits of the flesh, fornication, adultery, all forms of immorality and uncleanness, being argumentative, fighting and fussing, divisive, hating and not loving and not being. All these characteristics of people is what's coming out of people. This is who you are. And your fruit identifies the tree. This is who you are. This is the kind of person you are. And you'll never be any different until there's something new planted inside of you. And what is the something new that's planted in, inside of you? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Would you turn to Romans 6? What a book and what a chapter. Romans chapter 6, verse 21 and 22. Talking to us here who know what our past was like and what our sinful ways were like. He, he wrote this. Verse 21. What fruit had you then in those things wherein you're now ashamed? In other words, did you see the picture? The way you acted the fruit that was expressed in the way you acted, your words, your actions, your attitude, all that was fruit. It was just shown who you were. He said, what fruit had you in those things which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is what? In other words, I don't care what church you go to. You can't live the way you used to live and go to heaven. It won't work like that. You've got to be saved. And you can't be saved unless God wants to save you. And when he does, the day he comes by, if this is the day of salvation, if today is your day, this is the day you better respond. Amen. Amen. Right. Some say, well, you're making us afraid. Well, the Bible says save some with fear. Amen. In verse 22, but now being made free from all sin and become servants or servers to God, you have your fruit under what? Holiness. Would you say that holiness is the opposite of sinfulness? I don't think all of us that are aspire to holiness are necessarily perfect. I think we have our moments at the traffic lights and so forth, whatever you're dealing with. But there's something inside of you that drives you. There's something in there that wants to express itself. It's something that God has put in you. Like repentance. If somebody sins against you, the Bible says, go to your brother. Why would you go to your brother? Because something inside of you commands it. And you go to your brother, you go to your sister, and you say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have borrowed your lawnmower and ran over some stuff that bent the blade and the shaft and tore it up and brought it back and said, I don't know what's wrong with it. I lied like a dog. What inspires you to be honest and truthful? What inspires us to honesty? Isn't it God? Isn't the work of the Spirit in conviction? When you repent, are you serving the Lord? You are. You're making a determination in your life that this, what I just done is wrong. I don't want to do that anymore. I got to do it this way. Forgive me, Lord, and forgive this person or forgive whoever. I can't but do that. I don't want to live in sin because sin is death. Listen to it again. He said, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, have your fruit unto holiness, and in the end, everlasting life. It's good. Folks, we are blessed. We are blessed with as little as we have. You're blessed if you got more than enough. But most of all, we're blessed if we have information from heaven. Because that as I'll try to say next time, is the seed that God plants in your heart. God said his word in Luke 8 is a seed. His word is a seed.
And every time that word is planted in your heart, and you listen, you don't just fall asleep or let it go in one ear and out the other, but you listen. Every time that word's planted in your heart and you capture it and you think about it, it becomes something that's going to come forth. That's why you repent. Take repentance. Allow me for a moment. Matthew chapter 3. You'll turn to this. John the Baptist. You know, the people came to him and said, baptize us. You know what he said to them? He said, why would I want to baptize you? He said, you go and bring forth fruit worthy of repentance and I'll baptize you. Let me see by your life that you're really sincere. I'll baptize you. But you think you just want to join the crowd or this is the latest movement of God and you want to come down here to this old dirty sea of Galilee. If it's where I was, it might be better up, in, up north. But you want to come down here and think that by being a part of this, you're upping yourself? I don't even want to baptize you. Go show that you have repented by the things you do and then I will. Next. Well, how many of you know that wouldn't sell any? Can't say tapes anymore. Who wants to listen to that? Who wants that on a talk show? But that's the way it is. Show me by the way you live that you really mean business. Let me see that your life exemplifies, bears fruit unto sincere holiness, or at least a desire. I know you're not perfect. I'm not either, but I want to be. Show me. Show me. Let me see some fruit. Show me. We'll try to do that next time. Amen. Bow your head. Heavenly Father, we are grateful and we are thankful this morning for what you have done for us, what you have done in us and to us. We pray that we will be able to respond favorably to you that you would find pleasure in us because you said for your pleasure, for your pleasure, we were created. Lord, make that emblazoned on our hearts, a living word, continually reminding us that we are not our own, that we belong to you. Help us to see who you are and then to see what we are. So that as John the Baptist said, we must decrease so that you may increase. I ask you, Lord, to make this word work for us, that we not just keep preaching it year after year, but begin to see the fruit of it, to see the fruit of it in our lives, in our children, parents, grandparents, all of us. And I want to thank you this morning in Jesus' name for allowing us to come together, to have a place to meet, for the health that we have. Ask you to bless those that are still recovering and ailing wherever they are. In our midst, the other side of the world, in England, others, wherever they are. I want to thank you, Lord, for your healing grace, your mercy, and your goodness. Bless them all. Bless us here in that way. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? I am crucified with Christ I am crucified with Christ I no longer live But Christ lives in me I am crucified with Christ I am crucified with Christ I no longer live But Christ lives in me faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified with Christ 
dismiss ourselves from this room today we do with thankful hearts remembering that you're the one who saved us you're the one who leads us and guides us you're the one who will bring us home and again for that we are extremely grateful and we thank you for it in Jesus name all the people said amen. amen greet somebody and say I'm glad I came you're free to go God bless all of you amen <laughs> <laughs>